If you want to this morning, you can open up to Amos, the book of Amos. It's right after Joel, Daniel, then Joel, then Amos. And we're going to be doing a quick look over the book of Amos a little bit later here in the teaching. But this morning, as I said earlier, I want to welcome you to Freedom Sunday 2018. Every September for the last three years, we take one Sunday to partner with a group called International Justice Mission, or IJM for short. We take time to focus on the topic of slavery that still very much exists in this world. And today, I want to look at the work that IJM does, as well as talk about simple ways we can make sure we are bringing the kingdom of God to bear in our everyday lives. Have you guys ever noticed or had those moments where during our congregational singing, you're hearing the words of the song and realizing that we're not doing what we're saying? For example, there's a song we used to sing a lot that has a line, we stand and lift up our hands, right? You guys know that one? Always has an internal chuckle effect on me, right? Where I sit there and look around as we're all seated on our hands with our hands down in a lack of zeal, we stand and lift up our hands. It's kind of the height of hypocrisy. But what a microcosm of Western Christianity. We will talk a subject into the ground, we will act- academically debate a subject to death, but when it comes to actually playing the commands of Christ out in our lives, we apathetically retort, it's grace, not works. Our overall topic today has at its core the question, how does our faith become active in our lives? How do we work out our faith? How do we make it active in that we are proclaiming the good news that Christ is real and is capable of restoration, redemption, and reconciliation in the here and now? In essence, how does our faith play out in everyday life so that we are clearly proclaiming the kingdom of God? Last week, we looked at the topic of spiritual warfare in depth. You can go back and listen to that online as we covered Ephesians six ten through 13, and we discussed warfare between Yahweh and between the rebellious demonic beings and the conflict that they have. Those rebellious demonic beings lifting themselves up as false gods. And as part of the application, we were encouraged to use prayer as the spiritual warfare tool that it's intended to be to fight against that kingdom of darkness. We looked at uh, what's popularly called the Lord's Prayer to talk about that. So let's look at that again up on the screen here. This is from Matthew 6, 9 through 13. It says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In this prayer, Jesus calls us to to the work of doing God's will and bringing forth a vision and reflection of his kingdom in this world. We often pray this at night as part of our family worship in in my home, and uh, it's funny because I notice that if we don't pay attention to it, we say it much like we stand and lift up our hands. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's not just a wish or a desire. That is a proclamation. It's a war cry that, God, we want to partner with you to bring your kingdom to bear. It speaks of living out of God's provision in the middle there. Give us this day our daily bread. It speaks of walking in the forgiveness of Christ within relationships, within, which in and of itself is an act of justice. And then it speaks of staying allegiant to Yahweh as opposed to the evil one, the king over the kingdom of darkness. And these are simple truths we walk by and act upon to bring his kingdom to bear. And this cosmic battle is occurring as we looked at last week all around us. It's in the midst of the heavenly realm, but it's also here on earth. And all the works of Christ were for the purpose of announcing the kingdom and showing his kingdom's victory over the kingdom of darkness. Now most of us, myself included, spend much of our time busying ourselves with life in order to avoid this topic, do we not? That's why we binge watch Netflix. It's to forget that we live outside the garden, that we are in the midst of trauma in a sense. And many of the things we look to, busying ourselves with life and entertainment, they're good things. But in essence, what we're trying to do is we're trying as hard as we can to restore the state of the garden in our own lives without the core reality that the only thing that does that is reconciliation between God and man. We can't just make it better all of a sudden. We want to mute the truth that surrounds us that Satan is the ruler of this world. The Bible is clear of that. 
1 John 5.19, we looked at this last week. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. All nations, all kingdoms and institutions outside those of the authority and reign of Jesus Christ are in his power. They're in Satan's power. And this is why, in the book of Matthew, we see Satan offer all the kingdoms of the world to Christ. And Christ did not rebuke him as a liar. Look at what he says there in Matthew 4. This is Matthew 4, 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to, be a, to a very high mountain and showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And Satan said to Jesus, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, meaning Yahweh, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil, the accuser, left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Guys, this is massive cosmic warfare. Do you see the demonic beings? Satan himself, and then the angelic beings, ministering, serving the one who is lifted up as Christ. Jesus didn't say, Satan, you're a liar. Those kingdoms are not yours. They're my father's. He agreed with him, but he pushed back on him. Now, this is not to get us paranoid where we see Uh, begin to see demons around every corner. Like I said last week, the demon of backache or the demon of hangnails, right? We don't see those. But it is to help us realize the truth that any authority structure, kingdom, or institution that is outside the authority of Christ as ruler is under the reign of Satan. And it's hard for us to understand or even want to understand as Christians, especially American Christians. In our far-removed opulence and decadence in the Western world, especially in the U.S., we often forget that this cosmic battle is raging. Spend 10 minutes in a third-world country in Western Africa, and you do not forget that this cosmic war is raging. It rears its ugly head when we see news of terrorism or an act of violence in a workplace or school and so on, but we've trained ourselves. I remember back, how many of you remember the first uh, school shooting that was national attention at Columbine? You guys remember that? How many of you remember that? It took us months, maybe even years to recover. How long do we recover now? If it's even on the news. We've trained ourselves to see past this as quickly as possible and become very skilled at dealing with only the positive and encouraging parts of life. We as Christians are the worst at it. We surround ourselves with radio stations and movies that only want us to see the encouraging things. So we blind ourselves to the fact that Satan is at work in this world. It's also easy for us because even with the evil that we see in our local and national context, there is still the common grace of God through our Judeo-Christian roots and principles in this country. And it affects how the country runs. And so we have access to law enforcement and a court system that, yes, has individuals within it that make mistakes, but when compared as a whole to the rest of the world, we live in paradise when it comes to our justice system and our law enforcement. I thank God for the law enforcement officers that are in this congregation keeping us safe. To understand that the world still lies in the power of the evil one, we as Americans have to take the blinders off and see and look outside our context. Speaking of law enforcement, do you realize that globally, 4 billion people, 60% of the world's population, live outside the protection of the law? Think about that the next time you complain about the police officers in our country. 4 billion people. There is no one to call when I'm out in the bush in Burkina Faso preaching if I get taken by a terrorist. There is no one to call. 40 million people are still held in slavery In 2018, and one one in four of them is a child. Human trafficking generates $150 billion a year, and two-thirds of it is from commercial sexual exploitation. In India alone, a child goes missing every eight minutes, and half are never found. Think about that. In the time that I will be speaking today, eight children will go missing. Two-thirds of them used for sexual exploitation. We must frame our worldview around this reality of evil if we are to be adequately prepared to fight in the battle alongside our King and Savior. Remember that the war he is waging is to bring his law of righteousness and justice to bear on earth as it is in heaven. And if we're praying that, we also have to act upon that. 
And so we must realize some essential truths this morning. The first one you can write down is this. The Father sent the Son to free the enslaved and oppressed. The Father sent the Son to free the enslaved and oppressed. You can remember these truths from when we looked at the book of Isaiah. We went through it for a year. We talked about the topic of righteousness and justice. And guys, one could spend days studying the range of meanings in these words. I have. There's a lot of different meanings. It has a huge spectrum that we could go through. But what I want you to grasp is that these words begin as the innate character and qualities of God, of Yahweh, issuing forth from his holiness and all that he commands and does. It's part of his character. But we also want to make these easy to understand for us. And so this is how we talked about them last time when we went through Isaiah. Righteousness can very easily be understood. The, the, the Hebrew version of it, tzedakah, everybody say tzedakah. You can see it up there, T-S-E-D-E-Q-A-H is how we would spell it if we were transliterating it into English, tzedakah. And what it means is it means right relationship between God, between oneself, one another, and God's creation. Okay? Everybody watch me. God, self, one another, creation. What did I just make? Sign of the cross, okay? Really easy to remember. And the reason for this is because you just think about eternity future. What is it that God's going to bring when he brings righteousness to bear on this earth? When he is ruling and reigning, he will finally have shalom, peace, between God and man and his creation. Right relationship. When righteousness reigns, all will be shalom. And then we also looked at the topic of justice. Everybody say mishpat. Mishpat. Tzedakah va mishpat, right? It's a great word to say. And that's the Hebrew word mishpat for justice. And justice can be very easily understood. Again, there's a spectrum of meanings, but the primary meaning we're trying to get across is that justice is the activity that brings about the righteousness, the right relationship. And so, guys, you can think about this very simply in our society. Our society freaks out. One side says racism is everywhere and the other side says racism is nowhere. And guys, the reality is it's probably somewhere in between. Yes, people are not stuck in the exact same racism as back in the 1930s and 40s. However, there is innate racism. How do we know? We know it because just look at different demographics and ethnicities as they exist in our culture. You can watch Caucasian people interact with Latino people differently because they're from different cultures. And rather than seeing them of total 100% value, equal value, there are ways that our cultures enact, interact where it's not equal standing and equal status. So those that are not millennials might say, there's no racism, we, we solved that back in the day. Those that are millennials might say, there is racism. And I would say that both of us need to figure out how to agree and get along and understand that there are still things we have to work out because there is not perfect shalom and righteousness. So justice is to run into someone who's a different ethnicity and a different language in our American, Caucasian, primarily, culture, and to treat them with no difference, to love them as an equal, to care for them, and to raise their status up. That's justice, or an example of justice. It's to take a foster child who is in the middle of abuse in a home, and that child does not deserve that, and to be that foster parent that cares for them and shows them attachment and love and care raises their status. It's an act of justice. It's to be a nurse in the midst of the hospital and to give that care to that person who is seen by our society that's very utilitarian as someone past their prime, but to care for them anyway because they have the image of God in them. All these things speak of justice. Justice is the activity that brings about righteousness. And so we find ourselves engaged in warfare between the kingdom of Christ with its law of righteousness and justice, fighting against the prince of this world, the evil one, and his law of rebellion and greed and lust and unrighteousness and injustice. And how we fight this battle is what we are talking about today. One of the major ways we fight against the topics of slavery and human trafficking is by partnering with this group called International Justice Mission. They have people highly trained in the professions of law and social service and many other areas. And as many of you know, they're centered out of Washington, D.C., and they fight throughout the world on behalf of those in slavery. 
Now, to help us understand the battle that's being waged on earth as it is in heaven, I want to show you a quick video here. It's about five minutes. It's about a boy named Foley that is from uh, Ghana that IJM was able to bring out of slavery. And while this is a fictionalized account from the perspective of what they're filming, it is a real true story that occurred. And you'll see that towards the end. And just because the light is a little bit bad in here and our projectors are not that bright, I'm going to paint the picture for you. The first opening scene you're going to see is that of Lake Volta. Now, just for geographical reference, Burkina Faso, which we're very familiar with in this church, used to be named the Republic of Upper Volta, okay? And so the, the river flowed through Burkina Faso and down into Lake Volta here in Ghana. So you're going to see Lake, uh, Lake Volta, and it's going to be very dark. And basically the story is of Foley losing his grandfather, being taken by an uncle to work on the lake. And children, when they're enslaved, usually are taken to do the most dangerous jobs because in a lot of these cultures, and I would suggest sometimes in our own, we see children as expendable. How do I say that about our culture? Well, just talk about the topic of abortion. And so we think of children as expendable, and so we enslave them to do the most dangerous jobs. And the jobs of these children on this lake are to go underwater for extended periods of time in a very dark and gross lake and free nets that are stuck on various things in the lake. The adults don't have the guts to do it, so they send the children down. That's the story you're going to see. And so, uh, do we have the thing plugged in for the audio? Okay. So we're going to watch this for just a few minutes here. There are Kleenexes to the side if you need them. I follow grandfather to the farm and watch what he's doing. I am nine years old. I never want to leave this place. I always help my grandfather in the market. When I left home with my uncle, I didn't see my grandparents anymore. The first time I went on the lake. I wanted to escape. But I didn't know the way. Get Father came for me, but he could not find me. My uncle said, You forget about your grandfather. 
And he said, those are the people who come for small boys. So when they come, I should jump into the water and swim away. When Foley was trapped in slavery on Lake Volta, he used to pray every morning before he and other young boys paddled out to the lake to fish. God, we are awake. In your name, we are going to the lake. Put your hands over the net and don't let it go to a place where humans can't go. But someone still has to go. Take it to a place where it is safe for humans to go. No kids should have to pray that prayer in the morning. And there are thousands of children on Lake Volta that are still enslaved. Church evil is real, oppression is real, and it exists all around us. The followers of Christ, the founders of the church, knew that Jesus came to fight against it. They knew that God's desire is for his creation to fully imitate or image him. And the meta narrative of the Bible is the activity and mission of God to bring about the restored imaging of himself, which in turn creates restoration of relationship between God and man and within mankind itself. Right relationship and right status among one another and God. We saw last week that none of this is possible without the saving work of Jesus Christ. We can do all sorts of justice work in the world, but without Christ ruling and reigning one day, it will not come to an end because evil is that line that runs in between the human heart And upon the cross, Jesus atoned for the world's sin, bringing us back into relationship with the Father. He did the first and foremost and most important foundational work of justice by bringing us back into relationship with the Father. And his resurrection three days later proved that he was victorious in that effort. And then 40 days later, after being seen by many witnesses, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father to be enthroned as king over a kingdom of redeemed people, his church. And he began the wonderful work and process of pilfering the subjects of the kingdom of darkness and taking us captive to save us and free us into the kingdom of light. This is why Paul says in his letter to the Colossian church, he, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He says in the following chapter in that same letter, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. 
He put the rulers and authorities of the kingdom of darkness, the spiritual powers, to shame. But then he also poured out his spirit upon those that give their allegiance to him. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ in here today, he has poured out his Holy Spirit into your heart and mind to regenerate you, to become the redeemed community of the church, so that we might follow in his footsteps, bringing his reign of righteousness and justice as a proclamation that he will one day return to judge the living and the dead. We don't do works of justice to solve the world's problems because we can't, only Jesus can. We do works of justice to proclaim that he is coming and to say to the world, whose side would you like to be on? He will come and take his rightful throne over his creation. And according to Peter, when he was speaking to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, this is why Jesus performed the ministry he did while on this earth. Peter said to the Gentiles in Acts 10, You know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This wasn't just talking about people that were under the oppression of demons. This is talking about all people that Jesus affected and worked with. From the cross comes the ability through the power of the Spirit to affect a new people that are the beginning of the new creation in which we live within the way of righteousness and justice. It's just who we're supposed to be. It saddens me how big of a stretch it is for most of us as Western Christians to understand what it is to step into a life of working out righteousness and justice. We are to bring about the liberation of the oppressed spiritually and physically to bring them into right relationship with God and man and reinstate them to right standing among society. In God's full reign, this will be the state of the restored world. And so God calls his people, you and I, the redeemed community of faith, to fight this evil wherever it is found, here in Salem and around the world. So we know that. Secondly, you can write this down. God calls his redeemed community to do the same. The Father sent the Son to free the enslaved and the oppressed, and God calls his redeemed community to do the same. All of the book of Ephesians is speaking to the truth that God calls his people to be this simple and yet radically different people. God calls us to grasp this today and to understand it well. And so to do so, we're going to turn from Ephesians, which we've been in for the last year, to the book of Amos, one of the minor prophets. So please open that back up there if you've closed your Bibles. Amos was a shepherd and a fig tree farmer from a place called Tekoa in the southern kingdom of Judah. And he was called by God to confront Israel. The nation found itself in a position where their leaders, especially their king, uh, had gained new territory. And was one of the most successful economic kings that they had had. So they found themselves in great wealth and economic prosperity. All the reports were good. But in the midst of this supposed success, the leaders had also allowed blatant idolatry, apathy, and injustice to take hold among its people. You see, where you find greed in terms of economic gain, you will also find justice creeping in. Now, after Amos speaks oracles of judgment upon the surrounding peoples, he focuses in on Israel and Judah and the people of Yahweh, and he says this. Look with me at Amos 2, 4 through 8. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of Yahweh. Remember, anytime you see L-O-R-D in all caps, behind that is the Hebrew word Yahweh. And they have not kept his statues, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. 
Let me put this in some contemporary terms for us. First, what we see is that they rejected the law of the Lord. This was not just the rejection of the Mosaic law. This was rejection of the higher law of God, the higher point of the Torah, instruction in righteousness and justice. The people of God were to be a people that, by their care for one another, they would image God's heart of justice to the world. But they rejected that law and put in place, put in its place, empty religious behavior. And so this led to the second charge, that their life became one based on materialism, all while practicing empty religion. They didn't care that it was the poor and needy that were enslaved to work to make their goods, as long as they had the latest, most stylish, most inexpensive pair of sandals. It's literally what that means. As long as they could keep up with the Joneses, it didn't matter how it affected children in another country. Third, men and their sons were using and objectifying women to satisfy their fleshly lust. Their lust overwhelmed the fact that they were making people born in the image of God, women, subhuman to fulfill their fleshly desires. In contemporary terms, they didn't care that the pornography site they visited has no idea where it gets the pictures of naked women or that it is most likely from human trafficking. They just wanted their lust to be gratified. And last, lastly, the last charge is that they didn't care that the very implements they were using to worship God were at the expense of people that were not given respect and dignity. Their own greed overwhelmed any discernment that God would not want their worship if it meant injustice. And I guarantee you, dear brothers and sisters, that when Amos spoke in that day, many of the Israelites sat there and said, good thing he's not talking about me. Just like many of us are sitting here today practicing our American culture, getting the most inexpensive goods we can at the expense of other human beings, made some subhuman so we can continue our materialism, saying, good thing that's not me. Israel was supposed to be a people after God's own heart. But they fell for the lies of the enemy and thought they would become fulfilled in a perversion of the things of this world. It was a cycle of greed and oppression. And this was so particularly heinous because they were supposed to be different. So this is why he says what he does in Amos 3, 1 through 10. Hear this word that Yahweh has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? What he's saying here is, guys, you were supposed to be my people. You were supposed to be different. You were supposed to understand my heart because I freed you from the world. How were we not on the same page? He then says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, but who can prophesy? Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. Those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. He spoke directly to the people of their mission and yet they did not follow him or pursue what was right. I wonder if God would say the same thing to the global church today. Often those of us in the church, much like the Israelites, have a similar tendency to believe we are following God's heart of righteousness and justice when we are outwardly religious and nice. But inwardly, we're still operating within the same worldview and system that everyone else does. He who has the most stuff when he dies wins. Gotta have the best iPhone. Gotta have the best car. Here in 2018, we must examine ourselves to see if we have fallen into that same apathy that discards the call to bring justice as God's people. Or worse yet, are we people that have been walking in the same injustice as the rest of the world? 
I want to show you a quick video that is an update from Ghana where the previous story about Foley occurred. Now, it's great news about the work that IJM has done in the midst, and that's part of what I want you to get from this video. But I also want you to notice the story where the presenter speaks about how the church needed to examine itself to see whether it was acting in justice or not. Let's listen. Hello, greetings from Ghana. I'm currently sitting on the shores of Lake Volta, uh, where many children are trafficked onto this very dangerous lake. A lot of boys dive into this dangerous lake to untangle nets and to help their masters to fish. Last year, we visited this Volta region, which is one of the most prominent places for child trafficking. And we engaged a number of pastors. And through that engagement, uh, they all decided to host a justice conference. This justice conference brought together over 270 pastors and church leaders to be equipped on child trafficking and go out for justice. Um, the lead presenter at this justice conference was Bishop Hilliard Dogbe, and he told these pastors that in your congregations, there are traffickers. But because these traffickers are the most influential people in your congregation, you are scared to rebuke them. He posed a question to them. He asked them, do you want to be a faithful pastor or a popular pastor? After that conference, hundreds of these pastors decided to host Freedom Sunday. They joined other churches across the world to pray for the work to bring freedom to many boys on this lake. And last year alone, 100 boys were rescued from this water lake. Today, you can become a freedom partner. Send freedom and help rescue more boys from this dangerous water lake. Each of them are perishing every day. They are being denied of their childhood. But together, we can help bring freedom to them. Send freedom today. Now, we may not have human traffickers in our church. I can just say a quick word that if we do, you need to repent immediately and see me after service. But just because we're at the height of the pyramid in terms of consuming things that are done by human trafficking, for example, pornography or materialism, um, guys, it doesn't excuse us. We're just the person at the end of the line. We may not be trafficking the humans, but we're the ones that are adding to the system. So, regardless, we must ask ourselves if we are people that have molded God into our own image to the point that we are not convicted when we do see injustice and unrighteousness in our midst. Imagine sitting in Sunday praising Yahweh, praising Jesus Christ with people who are literally to your left and right trafficking children. We as Americans, what do we do? <gasps> How could they? And yet often we are part of the problem just as much because we're the end consumer. What happened to Israel in the book of Amos is that their material prosperity and their wealth had blinded them to the fact that they were participating in a system that encouraged oppression. Look with me at Amos chapter 4, 1 through 5. He says this to the women, and I know this will be offensive, but remember, Amos said it first. <laughs> Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. He's speaking to the women of Israel who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go out through the breaches. Each one straight ahead and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgressions. Those were places, altars of uh, pagan worship. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of th thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. While they were worshiping in the Sabbath at the temple, or so to speak, right? They were also going to the places of idolatry during the week. Because Yahweh was good for, you know, certain things. But then going and worshiping these other gods who provided material prosperity and success, that was good too. And so he's rebuking them because they're not wholly devoted to the work of Yahweh. Look at verse 11. He says to them, I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. 
They were still practicing religious actions, but their opulence and materialism had blinded them to the fact that they were contributing to the system of oppression. One commentator puts it this way, Israel knew religious right, R-I-T-E, but refused to practice what was right, R-I-G-H-T. Amos likens them there in verse 11 to Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you guys remember what their sin was? Our first answer is usually the wrong one in priority. When you look to the word, what it actually says is that, well, parents of grade schoolers, you should know because it was the memory verse for this week. So we should all be familiar with this because we're all teaching our children the word of God, right? This is what it says. Ezekiel sixteen forty nine. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. The United States throws away more food I believe it's four times more food every year than is generated in all of sub-Saharan Africa, which is a much larger landmass. Pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. As Americans, we would be foolish to not take warning. When a people steps outside of the law of God's righteousness and justice, we become like his enemies. This is what he says in Amos 9. I won't have you turn ahead here, but in Amos 9, 7, he says to his people, are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel? He's saying to them, you've become my enemies because you do not follow my heart. We cannot rest on a sense of entitlement because our country is historically Judeo-Christian. We cannot rest on a sense of entitlement because our family is historically Christian. We cannot rest on a sense of entitlement because we prayed a prayer one time or used to be heavily involved in Christian ritual. Our lives tell the tale of who our allegiance is to and what law we operate within. And so to Israel, Amos calls out and exhorts them to turn away from the idolatry of other gods that they follow in lust, greed, materialism, and worldly success. Guys, this is so convicting for me as a dad and as a husband because I watch as good after good after good comes into our home. And I think to myself, where did it come from? And what am I teaching my children? And I'll be honest with you, often I fail my children. Am I teaching them materialism? We just had our five-year-old's birthday party. Yes, we taught them materialism. It is a confession we must make to ourselves that we have to shift outside of our culture to a great extent in order to take this to heart. Those goods that we purchase at inexpensive rates often are made at the hands of people in sweatshops, enslaved in order to do that work. And if you're sitting there thinking, Hans, you're full of it, I would suggest you go with me to West Africa and drive through the fields where slaves are used to pull cotton for Victoria's Secret underwear. It's real, it exists. And so we need to take heed of what God calls us to. Look at Amos 5, 4 through 7. Condemnation leaves us where we're at and says there is no hope. Conviction is what God brings us through his word because there is a way out. And verse 4 says, For thus says the Lord God to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. These are places that they went uh, for idolatry. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. First, God calls them to seek Yahweh and turn away from following other idols whose places of worship are listed there in verse 5. Then from the object of worship will follow the action of their lives. Look at Amos 5, 14 through 15. He says, now seek me first. And then he says, out of that, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good. 
and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. I want my children to love good and hate evil. Last night as I was preparing all this, I kept listening and watching the videos and my sons and daughter came up to me and my first instinct as an American parent was, ooh, I need to turn this off because I don't want their hearts to hurt. That was my first instinct. Encouraging, positive, that's what I'm supposed to be training them in. And so I went against that and I let them watch it and then they had a million questions. But that's good because I want them to hate evil and love good. God was calling the people, just as he's calling the church today to be a people that truly image his heart of righteousness and justice. And yes, God does hate. He hates evil. You see, they had to become a people that, uh, they had become a people that felt entitled to God being on their side when they weren't on his They were a people that were so busy studying when God would show up and destroy their enemies and grant them peace that they neglected their very role on this planet to bring forth his heart of righteousness and justice. In churches today across the world, people are studying, when is Jesus going to come back so he can destroy all the bad people? Look at what he says to people who focus so heavily upon the day of the Lord but don't actually act in the heart of Yahweh. Look at verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of Yahweh, meaning the day of judgment, the day God returns. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bent him. In other words, you can escape evil after evil, but eventually, if you are evil, the Lord's judgment will come against you. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? He says to them, I hate, I despise your feasts. The people were calling here for the day of Yahweh's judgment, totally blind to the fact that they, like the other enemies of Yahweh, would suffer his judgment if they did not repent and live in a life characterized by bringing his heart to bear on the earth. He says to them, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. We have become a church that is so focused on worship of song that we have forgotten worship of God through justice and righteousness. We think we've done our duty by singing songs on a Sunday and forgetting about Christianity the rest of the week. But what does he say to them? Verse 24. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. 60 years ago, 70 years ago, this was used by Martin Luther King as a rally cry to elevate the place of African Americans in the United States. And I am ashamed to say that it was a great portion of the church that stood in the way of that and said, no, 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 that's a misappropriation of this verse. Luckily, there was a portion of God's true people who stood up and said, no, that's the proper use of this verse. Let's bring racial relations to equality. But guys, just because we go to church or call ourselves Christians, we have to first check and see if our worldview matches God's, not the other way around. God calls his redeemed community of faith to free the enslaved and the oppressed, to walk on this earth not for our own agendas, but for his Not on our own mission, but for his. And if we embrace this call, empowered by his Holy Spirit, then we can see justice done in both the miraculous and the miraculously mundane. You can write that down. We can see justice done in both the miraculous and the... Brothers and sisters, I want to pause for a second as you write this down because there are so many of you in this room that have heard me speak on Freedom Sundays for the last few years. And I want to celebrate the growth that I've seen in you. I want to pause in the heaviness of this topic to celebrate with many of you in this room who have answered the call. You've answered the call with your time, your talents, and your treasure. 
When we first started, this was a massive blind spot in my own life and the life of this church. I literally started a church so I could teach the Bible, and that was it. And in the midst of teaching the Bible, guess what? I actually got saved. (laughs) I started to realize that the call to Jesus wasn't just so that I could go to heaven when I die, but the call to Jesus was to act out his heart in this world. And this church and myself and my family have changed because of it. God has been good to convict us and exhort us in this area, and I want to celebrate with you all the areas where God has motivated us to act in justice. So many of you in this room today, I want you to hear, in the midst of this heaviness, to be reminded of it, I also want you to hear, well done, good and faithful servants. I know many of you in here, you sacrificing your daily life so that you might give more to IJM, give more to the ministry of this church. But there are still those of you in this room that you can't figure out how in your middle class, upper, upper middle class American life, you can, you know, cut out things so that you can give to righteousness and justice. And today you should be convicted. You should be convicted. Jesus gave his life for justice so that we might be reconciled with the Father and with one another. And we are called to give our life to do the same. So for those of you who have done that, well done. Keep going. Keep pressing this church to step forward in this area. Because I know that many of you, in the midst of so many struggles and tribulations and warfare against the enemy, you have pushed forward in the foster system, in your own homes, and internationally as we have taken the fight to the enemy. I was hoping to have uh, some of the pictures of the roofs we just put on churches over in Burkina today, but unfortunately I didn't get them in time. But we've got four new churches that are now sitting under roofs away from the African heat, worshiping Jesus because you gave when it probably hurt a bit. And so I want to thank you for being a church that goes to war. Now, at the same time, we as a church can stretch farther into the miraculous and the miraculously mundane. First, the miraculous. Church, the first act of justice in this world begins with Christ. If you've not decided to give your allegiance to Christ as King and Lord, then no act of justice will prove fruitful eternally. Remember that true righteousness always begins with reconciliation between God and man, and that only comes through the gracious justice that Jesus performed on the cross. Taking your sin upon himself, he did not act in retributive justice, destroying you or me like we deserved, but he instead acted in merciful and gracious justice. And so I call you, if you are a person who doesn't know Jesus, accept his gift today. And then from that point on, the Holy Spirit will regenerate us so that we live a life intent on imaging him to the world around us. This too is miraculous because it takes our greedy, lustful hearts and transforms them more and more into his heart that desires justice and mercy in this world. Church, if your heart is hard in this area, pray that God might soften it. These areas of miraculous work will pour out into the miraculously mundane. Here's what we need to do in the miraculously mundane. If we are followers of Jesus... We can bring justice to bear in many different ways. First, we need to examine our worldview. You can write these down. This is the last uh, last slide. We can examine our worldview and ask ourselves, do I live and does my family live, uh, or my roommates and I, whatever it might be, do we live in a worldview that thinks of others, that is based on selflessness as opposed to selfishness? Do we think of others before ourselves? It's a very basic step, but it's one I think we often need to be reminded of as Americans. We need to think about our own obedience in following the love of Christ, our love for others, and our stewardship of this world. Secondly, we need to promote justice within our already existent relationships. One of the barriers I find for a lot of people stepping outside of their small sphere of influence to bring justice is that they realize and they recognize that they're not even bringing justice to bear in their own current relationships. Do we speak the truth in love with one another as brothers and sisters here in the church? 
Do we love and respect our spouses and train up our children in the ways of righteousness and justice as we discussed back in Ephesians 5? Parents, remember that we said every single moment of parenting is a moment of teaching them righteousness and justice. We must start here. If we are not bringing people into right relationship within our small sphere of influence, then it's going to be hard for us to step outside that. And so we need to bring justice in our current relationships. Third, we need to bring justice in our economics and stewardship. Guys, we live in a, uh, a cycle and a, uh, an economic system that it's going to be hard to break down a lot of the things that I've talked about. When we talk about this, often we talk about buying fair trade. That is a very good thing, buy fair trade. But the problem is with fair trade is that often for many working families, that's super hard to buy at that expense. So buy locally when possible. But Hans, that's also very expensive. Yes, and so many of us, in order to make ends meet, what we do is we buy at the inexpensive places and we say, hey, we're just trying to make ends meet. But guys, I would suggest to you that we're still going to have to do that to an extent. But the first thing I would ask is, are we living within our means? Are we living within our means? Or do we just have to have, you know, I got to have that guava out of season. I know it's the middle of winter, but I have to have strawberries. Small things that actually create this cycle of materialism and greed. Are we living within our means? Are we practicing contentment with what we have been provided? Guys, back in the day, everyone existed with two pairs of clothes. One that they would wash and one that they would wear. We don't need all that we have. Are we practicing contentment? We want to promote other communities to grow their own sustainable local economies, not exist off of the greed of Western civilization. We trick ourselves into thinking that we're this wonderful entity going across the world bringing business to other people. But guys, in order for us to stay on top, that means that other people have to stay on bottom. How about we flip that on its head? Live within our means and live within contentment. Next, we need to engage locally in activities of justice. We are better together than we are apart. We can engage in DHS, work with DHS and foster care. We can engage in service of the population in Salem that are without homes and shelter. And we need to stretch ourselves, church, to reach out to other demographics and ethnicities within our community. I don't know if you've looked around lately, but we are about as uh, homogenous as you can get as a church. And we have to be stepping out, readying our hearts for the idea of accepting people who are different than us into our church. What would we do if a homeless couple walked into our church not having had a bath in a month? How would we treat them? What would we do if people who don't speak the same language as we do come into the church and want to sit with us? Well, Hans doesn't speak anything other than English. I would love to get to a place where we have translators in American Sign Language and Spanish. I would love to be able to be a church where other people are accepted in, but are our hearts even ready for that? Do we ask those in our body who are different than we are what their worldview is? Do we empathize with them and learn their culture so that we can be prepared for that? These are all steps we can do as a body before we ever go out and solve world peace, right? We can do these things now. And we can do them better together than apart. Then we also can act in concert as a body globally. We need to put our treasure where we want our heart to be and supporting the ministry of this church so that we can proclaim the gospel and live it out in places like Haiti and Burkina Faso, living here and internationally. We can do that better together than we can apart. Are we giving to those things? And lastly, we need to partner as much as we are able with those already doing the work of justice across the world. Many in this church, my family included, already partner with IJM as Freedom Partners. Many of you have answered the call in previous years, and I thank you for that. We as a church support them as well on a monthly basis. But if you are able today, you can go back to the table in the back there, the the IJM table. 
And simply sign up there or sign up on your phone to partner with IJM to continue bringing freedom to those enslaved the world over. Dear church, if this was uncomfortable for you today, I'm not sorry. You know that I don't care if I'm popular. I want to be. I love being popular. But if I wanted to be popular, I wouldn't talk about things like this. God targets our comfort. He targets our idols so that we might seek him. And he does so out of a deep and abiding love for us. His work of liberation continues in our sanctification each and every day, freeing us from those things that ensnare us. If you're a person that doesn't know Jesus, please come talk to me in the back about what it is to follow Christ, to walk with him, because without him, there is no true reconciliation. But for those of us that do know him, we need to realize that the overflow of our relationship with him calls us to seek good and do justice. And so let's be a people sent to proactively seek opportunities to implement justice in his name.